Hello, listeners. Have a couple of quick announcements for you all. First off, this episode was originally supposed to come out in September, but it did not. So our Van Gogh limited edition merchandise will be available through October. So pretty much everything we talk about happening in September in this episode, you can just move that to October. Also, fun thing happening in October, Nat and myself will be in Boston October 9th through the 11th. We will be at the Boston Museum of Fine Arts modeling the blackest little black dress in collaboration with our friend Jason Chase. If you listened to our Singularity Black episode with him, um, you know about him and his work. So we will be working with him, uh, making some content while we are there, and we will be modeling the dress. So come on out to the Boston Museum of Fine Arts on October 10th from 5 to 9 p.m. and hang out with us. Uh, lastly, it is October and we love Halloween over here. And if you have been with us for a while, you know, last Halloween, we did a costume contest. It was amazing. Fantastic. Got so many good submissions. This year, we will be doing a pumpkin carving contest. So if you want to be a part of that, you carve a pumpkin, any design, get creative, have fun with it. Um, you can either email us your submissions at arthistorybabes at gmail.com or you can tag us on Instagram. Make sure to tag us in the photo so we actually get it. Sometimes things get lost in the fray if you don't tag us in the photo. And then tell us your favorite episode in the comments. Tag us in the photo. Tell us your favorite episode in the comments. At the end of the month, we will choose a winner and the winner will win a big giveaway with some books and some other fun things. Halloween contest. We've also got some fun Halloween content coming out for you guys. So thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. From Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey. I'm Jen. I'm Natalie. And we are the Art History Babes. And we're coming at you tonight on YouTube. We're on YouTube. So if you want to see our faces while we talk and watch us in our our hijinks and our shenanigans. Oh, man. (laughs) You can watch this whole podcast on YouTube. Make sure to check it out. Please do. Please do it. Actually, this episode is a very special episode for about a lot of reasons. First off, it's about Van Gogh. And if you've listened to our podcast for a while now, we have had some feelings about Van Gogh over the years. He evokes. (laughs) He does evoke. Uh, Taking it all the way back to one of our earliest episodes, the (laughs) Color Theory episodes. Where we... That's a really in- intense episode. Yeah, we straight <laughs> up get weepy about Van Gogh. Um, it had nothing to do with the sheer quantity of <laughs> wine that we had consumed oh that evening. Well, if you haven't checked that episode out, you should because it's just a load of fun. <laughs> 
<laughs> it is a load of fun. Um, actually, I think we're going to be like revamping and re-releasing that one soon. Nice. So yes. yeah, the, the two-parter. <laughs> the two-parter's coming for you. So we... We love Van Gogh. We have had many things to say about him throughout the course of this podcast. And we're really excited to be able to do this full length episode and just like dive into all these different interesting aspects of him as a human and an artist. And we're also trying something kind of new with this episode. So we're we're creating a immersive art history experience. <laughs> is the goal anyways that's what we're aiming for so on top of um this podcast all about van gogh we're also going to as we said it's going to be on youtube for you to watch we're also going to be releasing for the month of september limited edition van gogh merch limited for the month of September Van Gogh merch in our store at arthistorybabes.com. And then also fun thing, we're going to give you guys a little art project that you can partake in. If you so choose, we're going to, we're going to give you the details on the art project at the end of the episode. So stick around for exactly what the art project is and how you can kind of join in on the fun. And then also for our patrons, we're going to create kind of a forum type space where we will post an academic article related to this episode that you can read if you like, and you can kind of join in on the conversation about all things Van Gogh in the Patreon space. Um, so it's kind of a little like VIP chat type situation. If you aren't a patron and you'd like to be one, you can head over to patreon.com slash art history babes and become one for as low as $1 a month. Just a dollar. Just a dollar. And for those of you out there who are already supporting us through Patreon, thank you so much. Yeah. It's just so cool of you. Actually, I did want to also take a quick second to kind of just like get heart to heart with (laughs) y'all. First of all, yeah, like our patrons are just, we're so grateful for the patron support that we have. Um, You guys are really helping us out a lot and we really appreciate every single one of you. Also, just to kind of like get real with our listeners, if you listen to us often and you really enjoy this content and you enjoy it regularly and you want it to be made more often or you want it to improve or you want higher quality or you want us to expand into new things, we would really appreciate if you would consider possibly becoming a patron and supporting the art history babes honestly if all of our regular listeners you know just became patrons at the one dollar a month level like we would we would be able to do so much more like we would just be able to do so much more real talk honestly like between the four of us i think we work like seven or eight jobs like not counting the podcast no, this is real. <laughs> <laughs> that's just life like mm-hmm. not counting anything related to the podcast so like we're we're spread thin a lot of days yeah we're <laughs> spread very thin and this is like our passion this is our passion project and we care about what we're doing and we are so grateful for the the support we get in the we get so many great messages and just like love from you guys. That's like, keep it up. And we appreciate it so much. Like that stuff is really meaningful to us and really helps, but definitely honestly just a dollar a month those add up and that Mm -hmm. makes it so much more possible for us to keep making this content and maybe 
maybe work less side jobs all the time and focus more on making good quality art history babes content for you guys, which is what we want to do. So please take that into consideration. And thank you for all of those who have already become patrons we love you we appreciate it and also not to mention not only would you be doing us a huge solid but like you get something for being a patron if you become a patron at one dollar a month one dollar a month you get access to monthly bonus episodes we've been doing these for a while now i think there's somewhere around like eight or ten that are already posted and we do one every month we do a bonus episode only for patrons and you only have to pay one dollar a month to get access to that stuff and then we have other tiers where you can get other prizes basically like art history babe stickers and Art History Babes t-shirts and sponsorship credit and all kinds of fun stuff. But as low as $1 a month, access to all the fun stuff in our our Patreon, uh, all the VIP stuff, all the exclusive podcast content. Um, So not only are you like helping make our dreams come true, (laughs) but you are also getting something out of it. So please, please consider, please consider. (laughs) Thank you, just regardless. Yeah. Yeah. And um, all right. It's about that time. It's about <laughs> that time. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this episode. I am too. We have so much to talk oh, about. Oh, <laughs> man. You know what? We should just dive into it. Let's just do it. Going for it. Vincent Van Gogh. So he was born Vincent Willem Van Gogh on March 30th, 1853 in the Netherlands. He is often considered a post-impressionist. So kind of your basic tenets of post-impressionism the way it's defined it's not it came after impressionism uh, post-impressionism wow (laughs) yeah but it does respond to impressionism it's not as spontaneous as impressionism it is defined by bright colors and defined brush strokes and relatively clear outlines well you know if we think about the root of just where impressionism came from it's really the French term for a sketch Mm -hmm. an impression so the post-impressionists as they were influenced by impressionism um, were taking those ideas further so you have your artists that are really concerned with light Mm -hmm. and then there's the artists that are very concerned with space and so I feel like post-impressionism is really where a lot of these artists got to hone their niche yeah definitely I think I think the defined element of post-impressionism is important like I think imagery and is just more defined than it was in impressionism a lot of the time yeah and I feel like it moves away from leisure so much and kind of just the subject shift a little definitely you know just time truly i mean if we think about like our boy monet we're talking a lot of fancy garden Mm -hmm. parties and (laughs) you know a lot of pretty churches and the so much leisure there was leisure man (laughs) i'm like did you ever work my god i don't know Yeah, things get a little heavier with the post-impressionist. Yeah. So Van Gogh, his decision to become an artist came rather late in life. I mean, all things considered. Age 27. So he was not one of those that was like bred to be an artist his whole life. Mm -hmm. I think that's so cool. I love it. I think it's great and important. It's Um, good for me. (laughs) There's still time for me. (laughs) I love those like posts that like break down like all the famous people and like when they became famous. Like Oprah became became a media tycoon at like 
38 or yeah something, you and know? like and how long like how there's just there's no template like mm-hmm. you, like so many people like you can become famous at 18 you can you can reach your goals at 60 it doesn't matter yeah. there isn't like a set way to do it and i think that's important to remember so yeah he wasn't really like bred to be an artist he decided to become one at the age of 27 first he pursued careers as a teacher a clergyman and an art dealer i do think it's important to kind of note even though we're not going to talk about it too much that van gogh is actually very religious um i feel like that's not like talked about a whole lot but he was was a religious dude Mm -hmm. he died at the age of 37 so just 10 years after deciding to become an artist dang of a gunshot wound to the the torsal region um some sources say the chest and some say the stomach but in his life in his short career he uh made over a thousand works like i think over a thousand paintings and over a thousand drawings wow yeah yeah it's a high high number actually yeah yeah that's really impressive what a tragedy though 37 that's all we got i know that's all we got. i know man so we're gonna kind of start by kind of just diving into i think is probably the most like hot button thing about van gogh yeah his mental health like everyone knows that van gogh was some had something you know like, right yeah like, he was a little bit off kilter yeah because every i think most people know the story about the ear cutting incident, yeah. we will call it. There's like a Mexican pop band called Laude had the Van Gogh. It's like the ear of Van Gogh. Wow. That's yeah. going all in. It's very <laughs> rock and roll. They're not that good. <laughs> <laughs> so so I think that just in itself tells you what our culture kind of thinks about Van Gogh. We're like, oh, he was that famous artist that cut his ear off. You know, there's um, already an association with like his mental health state and kind of being this tortured soul for sure. So on December 23rd, 1888, he chopped the lower part of his ear off uh, during an argument with, oh, our favorite, our favorite person, Gauguin. <laughs> I'll put in a like boo track right there. (laughs) Make it like kids booing. That's always the best. (laughs) Nat's actually gonna get into that later and we can we can do some more Gogan bashing. That's fine. Um Love it. But so he chops off the lower part of his ear during this argument and then allegedly gave it to a prostitute. And then later he paints self-portrait with a bandaged ear, which is a self-portrait of him with his ear bandaged Right after this incident. After the incident. So, you know, you can make what you will out of that, but it's definitely violent. It's definitely like, yeah, it's a dramatic story. It's straight drama. I mean, you know, you know let's be real, though. I could see myself getting so mad arguing if it Gauguin that I would cut my ear off too. <laughs> like, just, you know, that guy just <laughs> would make me that mad. He's the worst. <laughs> Go listen to our Fuck Gauguin episode. We were like on the verge of cutting our ears off. <laughs> I'll cut my fucking ear off. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, So... In May 1889, uh, Van Gogh commits himself to an asylum where he painted many of his most famous works, including Starry Night. 
and Starry Night is actually a view from his window. I love that. When he was in the asylum. So do I. What a beautiful view. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I just think, yeah, that's very... I don't know that just adds so much to the story and the life of that work. And like the fact that that's arguably his most famous work, I think is just very fitting in a way yeah, to the, yeah. the whole narrative of Vincent Van Gogh. Yeah. And it is like, I don't know, just thinking about it that way, like because it is such a powerful work and it's so beautiful and like hopeful, but there is like a heaviness and a sadness to right. it. I think I it's know, whimsical. So, yeah. You know? it, it is. It's whimsical, it's but it's a dark mystical. whimsy. It's a dark yeah. whimsy. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a great painting. Like, can't deny. It's good. It's good. <laughs> Starry Night is Art History Vape approved. <laughs> Sticker that shit. In, in quotes, is good. <laughs> is good. <laughs> That will be our Art History Babes book club sticker. <laughs> is oh, good. that's perfect. Just in quotes, is good. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So a, um, I think a very important quote by Vincent Van Gogh on this topic and very beautiful. I've put my heart and my soul into my work and I've lost my mind in mm. the process. Wow. Did he really say that? Yeah. <laughs> I love that quote. <laughs> Right. I relate to that on many <laughs> levels. I think a lot of people can. I think there's such a interesting thing, like just thing with trying to balance your heart, your soul and your mind. You know what I, I mean? Know. Like that's such a precarious thing to do as a human and like as an artist. And so I think yeah, if one's yeah. outweighing the other, like. And I think one always outweighs the other. Right. Can I just say really quick early in the episode this guy is so quotable. He just had such a way with words. Mm -hmm. Like if he hadn't made it as an artist, then he should have made it as a writer because um, mm -hmm. his letters especially are just so yeah. like well written. I wonder if everyone just wrote that way back then. Yeah. It just almost seems like it. Sometimes you I wonder that too because I'm just like, wow, the way they talked was just like so poetic. I know. We're over here like, it's good. <laughs> that's good. That's good. Dom. <laughs> Dom, Vincent. <laughs> Dom. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's too early for us to be getting this silly. I know. Let's right? keep going. Let's keep going. We have so much to cover. Okay. Oh, it's another sticker. Dom, Vincent. <laughs> Okay, anyways, so while he was in asylum, he actually tried to poison himself um, by ingesting paint and kerosene. No. Which sounds not like a fun time. No, come on, bro. At all. Yeah, that doesn't sound good. I heard once, and I, I do not know, like, this could definitely be one of those, like, artist myths, like, mythologies yeah. that surrounds an artist. So I do not have a actual source for this this is very much just i'm pulling this from my this brain. is a heavy disclaimer guys yeah, if I, you still try and accuse us after this yeah right so like <laughs> i'm out. not claiming 100 that this is true but it might be if mm -hmm. and if you know either way please let us know mm -hmm. i just remember reading once that the color of paint that he ingested was yellow what? because he thought yellow would like 
like because he was so sad he like thought yellow would like make him happy inside yeah stop yeah that's a story i heard once but (laughs) i don't remember if it was in an art history class or if it was on tumblr so like (laughs) so it could be false but i mean there's a few you know reasons why we might want to fact check that but he did he did ingest pain kerosene that's real that's real that's a real thing i don't know if it was the yellow and and it was that color still to be confirmed yeah but okay anyways we're gonna look into that one yeah and you guys can too yeah Um, if you have any insider info on that please let us know yeah so um as far as just diagnosable things both when he was alive and i think since uh, there have been so many studies on van gogh in like psychology journals neuroscience journals mm-hmm. like he is a favorite case study which is very interesting to me so he he suffered delusions and hallucinations he had typical symptoms of depression where he would um, withdrawal inability to kind of take care of himself in, in basic ways and then he also was diagnosed with epilepsy and then there have been diagnoses of schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. So we're dealing with a whole spectrum. They're of, just throwing stuff at him. Yeah. Like they're, they're like, just, we really don't know. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. which like really like honestly, who's to say how much of this he actually did have. Right. And, and and it was it was at a, you know, it was in the 1800s. We're still just getting started in psychology, basically. Right. I think it's safe to say that he did suffer from some manner of fits. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you know, which is an old timey way of saying like a seizure. And so I think that he was. What's that old? This is off topic. But that meme that's like about being an old timey doctor. It's like, oh, I wish I was an old timey doctor. I'd be like, oh, you got ghosts in your blood. Why don't you do cocaine about it? Yeah. I like that you would do cocaine about it. (laughs) I wonder how many times doctors told Van Gogh to do cocaine about his epilepsy. I forget where this just came up, but someone was talking about how they used to smoke cigarettes when women were pregnant to keep them from gaining too much weight no. and this was like like Lord. two generations or like two generations from our parents right. so like not not that long ago oh man oh. oh old school medicine is crazy and so we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute but for now let's just say that he had an array of mental health yeah. problems but in our 21st century lens, it's really hard to really say what he had. Yeah. I think there was definitely some depression in there, but there was 100% delusions and hallucinations. So right. like, yeah, could be a lot of things. Right. So I found this article that was very interesting. So this article, I was looking for something more from like a neuroscience or a psychology perspective. And I found this article and we'll post it on our sources. I love it as a thought experiment and I'm going to get into the details here. But I also want to kind of preface by saying that I don't think they give, they don't really give evidence. And I think it's kind of an out there assertion and I, I'm not saying that I agree with this, but it's very interesting. 
in this article called Neuroanatomical Interpretation of the Painting Starry Night by Vincent Van Gogh. Wow. (laughs) They basically, it's, um, I I didn't write their names down, but it'll be in our sources so you can find their names. They, there's, I think, four, four med students. They talk about his temporal lobe epilepsy. And that part, I think, is very telling. and, And they make a good case for the fact that that was probably like, how his epilepsy operated and they look at some of his artwork and just his story to suggest that like Starry Night is actually representative of temporal lobe epilepsy and that part is really interesting because um, apparently in temporal lobe epilepsy like you can have seizures that result in very dreamy states Um, yeah that um, they think might have led to images like starry night so the style of starry night or the whole thing because I thought I've heard that you could actually map the sky in starry night to like the cosmos where you would see Mm. it from that point like that it's actually very cosmologically correct I think that it's something more along the lines of just how yeah like the way in which he's painting it right exactly well the auras and things uh uh-huh that's what I think I think like the dreamy state nature I could see how maybe that was related to the seizures he was having possibly I also would like because I haven't really heard much about like how how cosmologically accurate it is and that's very interesting to me so mm-hmm. I'd like to know more about that now this is where this academic article like this is an academic <laughs> article gets weird basically what they suggest is that possibly starry night they and they pull up the images of like starry night and then a brain map mapping of the hippocampal region of your brain and they visually compare the two as being very similar and then they suggest that it, it, he may have been tapping into some kind of like subconscious expression of where like the locus of his creativity was <laughs> which the look on your face is exactly the look at my face when i read it <laughs> i don't know that's just so wild like yeah I'm sorry like that sounds so cool but no he was not painting his hippocampus <laughs> like I don't- so i agree this is this is why i like, wanted to bring it up though no. however i don't know where my hippocampus is <laughs> like However, the reason I liked this article is one, it was written by med students and they're thinking very philosophically and very artistically. I hope they're microdosing acid as they're writing these articles. Well, that I just I just liked the crossover of art and science. I think that's very Mm -hmm. important. And I also think really good science can come from just really out there assertions you know what I mean right and so I while I I don't think that their their overall assertion in this article was accurate or was proven in the article because it wasn't but I do think that it's an interesting jumping off point for thinking about things like what role does the subconscious play in things like temporal lobe ep- epilepsy? Can your subconscious have access to things like brain mapping? You know, like Whoa. you're dealing. Like, can you be more woke? Yeah. <laughs> because you have yeah. a temporal lobe disorder. Exactly. So 
uh, that is the main reason why I wanted to bring that article up. That because is so interesting. I think it's a very interesting way to frame Van Gogh and to think about Van Gogh. Something to think about. Something to think about. Yeah. And it, I've read over the years. I've read a lot about Van Gogh. I've heard a lot about Van Gogh. Yeah. And I've never heard no. anything like that. This so is by it, far the craziest. Right? And so it made me like have to think about Starry Night in a new way. And I thought that was kind of interesting. I think that's really cool. And like I don't mean to discredit it or discount it in any way because I'm laughing. It's just that it's, it's so yeah. weird. Like, yeah. like I got to laugh. But no, I think that that is just the most interesting take on Starry Night that I think I've ever heard. Yeah, right? To be honest. Right, right. So it is. It's like, obviously, we're going to be critical about it because that's what you do when you're being academic. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that there isn't some valuable, like, at least thought experiments, I think, going on there. You know what I mean? No, totally. Um, Let us know. Do you think Starry Night is a painting of Van Gogh's hippocampus? (laughs) Let us know. (laughs) I I, I mean, I I want it to be. Yeah, right. Um, However, I do like this idea that that maybe his epileptic seizures created a dreamy state that he was able to paint maybe a little bit or access a little bit in his paintings. I think that is is definitely um, something that you could see throughout a lot of his work, not just Starry Night, you know. So I want to talk about the result of all of this Van Gogh mental health frenzy that we've kind of always been in since since Van Gogh died there is a huge tortured artist mythology like surrounding him not that he wasn't tortured in some ways and not that he didn't suffer but we've created this bigger like this bigger than life mythology you know what I mean this like we've added meaning to it over the years and honestly as early as the 1930s there were like art historians and and people that were kind of challenging this like are we romanticizing things about Van Gogh you know like we we need to think about this a little bit and this really comes into play if you haven't seen it already everyone in the world needs to see Hannah Gatsby's Nanette on Netflix it is just incredible the most honest raw stand-up comedy slash like I just I don't even like because it's it's stand up but it's so much more than that yeah like it's just she gets so vulnerable and talks about things that are uncomfortable intense but she does it in such a raw way that you're either laughing or crying when yeah, she's talking about real. it there's really not much in between I had so many emotions watching that special and it's so good. And also she is also an art historian. She went to undergrad for art history Mm -hmm. and, um, and I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And a huge chunk of her standup is about art history, which is so exciting. Like Mm -hmm. she even makes a joke about it. Like bet you didn't think there'd be an extended section on art history. Yeah. (laughs) Like, but it's great. It's so good. But But we're the 2% of the population that got super excited. Yeah, (laughs) for real. What? Uh, She basically addresses this idea of the tortured artist mythology and and Vincent Van Gogh specifically because she's talking about her own struggles with depression and how in a a stand-up special she talked about like like medication for mental illness and after the show someone came up to her and they're like, oh, you shouldn't medicate because it numbs you and then you can't do your art and like blah 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 and he said to her like if van gogh 
had been medicated, we wouldn't have the sunflowers. <laughs> and Hannah Gatsby just puts this person to shame um, in her stand-up because... If you didn't know, and I didn't fully know this either, like these are details that I was unaware of, but are definitely factual. So throughout his career, like Van Gogh, one, he painted a lot of his psychiatrists. Mm -hmm. So he was seeing psychiatrists. He was seeing mental health professionals all the time. Like, and he painted a lot of them. And in 1890s portrait of Dr. Gachet, which is a great painting, the doctor is holding a foxglove. And foxglove is the plant that was used to produce the medication that Van Gogh was taking for his epilepsy. And if you take too much of foxglove, the color yellow tends to become more intense. Like you see the color yellow more intensely. So basically, I mean, what Hannah Gatsby is asserting, what I think you can kind of assert from that is that we probably have the sunflowers because Van Gogh was medicating mm -hmm. and not the other way around. Yeah. So it's just this this idea that the reason he was so brilliant was because he was so tortured. Like there's... Like, it is a part of him and his, like, mental illness is a part of him and, like, it is part of where his genius came from because it's part of who he was. But also, like, if we put the tortured artist stereotype on a pedestal, then it almost makes things like taking medication or seeking help to it just adds to I think that um, idea that that's like some sort of weakness or that yeah. you're you're going like yeah you're being unfair to your art or you're being less of a human in some way because you are trying to you're trying to treat like what what ails you and, you know and mental health is so complicated and mm -hmm. so intensely personal to every individual and to think that your experience or what you know about mental health personally is going to translate to other people is just it's not true it's mm -hmm. very rarely going to be the correct thing that someone needs and so don't judge people like some people don't do well on med medication mm -hmm. and don't need it and have had no negative experiences with it being forced on them when it's not the best thing for them and vice versa. Some people really do need it to function and live a healthy, normal life. Like don't impose judgments on people. Let them work that out with themselves and their support systems and their doctors. And yeah, the tortured artist does not need to be the goal. Like, yeah, exactly. I let's, think let's look for like mentally sound artists who <laughs> I know, like, I feel want... good and are happy. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, you can explore depths of emotion without always being unhappy. Yeah, because I think that is just... It's created a lot of problems because, I mean, Mango obviously is not the only example of this. We have an entire archetype of, like, the tortured artist that is just... Frida Kahlo. Yeah, yeah. but, like, like, in all, you know, literature, music, like, they're everywhere. And the, the idea of it being a goal, I think you, like, nailed it on the head there. Like, why can't we be mentally healthy artists if if that's what we want to to pursue you know and if you're listening to this and this is especially striking a chord with you and maybe this is something that you struggle with and maybe you have your own you know uh, your own ideas around this that are complicated I suggest reading Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert Corey did a lovely book review on it on our YouTube you can go check that out 
and she really gets into that whole concept and trying to really just break apart that myth and why we think that's true and why it's so false and damaging and can really ruin someone's creative pursuits yeah like you can be creative and healthy like that's that's a good thing to strive for. Mm-hmm. Like I, I agree. Definitely check out Big Magic. Definitely check out Hannah Gatsby's Nanette if you have not. Yes. Yeah, it's such a personal thing and it rarely is a black and white type uh, situation. Like medication's good, medication's bad. Like that's not how it works. So yeah, basically like um, Vincent Van Gogh had a lot of issues with his mental health and you know in some ways I think that makes him very compelling and relatable and that's good Mm -hmm. but that also means he he had a hard time and like if we can create a generation of artists that can make beautiful things but can be happy more often I think that's good too you know but anyways I think we should take a break I think that's a good place to take a break there that that was a lot of heavy stuff (laughs) so we'll take we'll take a quick break we'll be right back you guys do you remember those great old Hollywood biographies like Van Gogh and Lust for Life or Michelangelo in The Agony and the Ecstasy now imagine the epic story of the baddest bad boy of the Baroque, Caravaggio. He was the centerpiece of our one of our earliest episodes. And now Ken Mora is creating a new graphic novel that tells the tale of Caravaggio, how his art revived the dying church, how his ambition exposed his secret lover, and how his sword sealed their tragic fate. Now at kickstarter.com, you can help make this graphic novel a reality. Caravaggio, A Light Before the Darkness. Head over to kickstarter.com, search for Caravaggio, or we will have a link in our show notes where you can support Caravaggio, A Light Before the Darkness. We are back. We are talking about Van Gogh. Uh, things got heavy there for a second. And I don't know that they're going to get much lighter now, but no. <laughs> we'll make it light. I mean, the nice part is we've been over this in the Kogan episode. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to try and tell it a little differently. So we'll try and tell it a little lighter. Okay. Just to okay. change things the up. The hate will still flow. <laughs> oh, the, yeah. No, but that's not heavy. I mean, is that heavy? <laughs> no. I was like, that feels light to me. That's it feels like a release. Fun. It's pretty fun. Bashing Gauguin has become <laughs> become kind of just like a fun activity for Casual us. sport. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit about Van Gogh-Gauguin relationship. Nat, what yes. you got? All right. So the relationship that we all, the infamous relationship, mm-hmm. began in the fall of 1887 when Vincent and Theo went to a show in Paris and got to see some of Gauguin's work on display. They were very impressed, really liked it. Vincent saw Gauguin as an artist of the future, as a representation of like the modern era and wow. really kind of fitting into that world in a Damn. way that Van Gogh couldn't. So you can kind of uh, get an idea of why huh. Gauguin was really attracted to, attractive to him. Mm-hmm. We know that it's because he was a sneaky little snake and <laughs> he could he just was fool everyone. Slimy. Yeah. He was a dirty narcissist. <laughs> But to sweet, sincere Vincent, he just thought that he really had a lot of power in the modern world. 
So Gauguin, on the other hand, saw Vincent and Theo as his ticket into the art market and a connection, an invaluable connection. Theo was an art dealer. It, you know, it made sense for Gauguin to kind of like latch on. And because Mm -hmm. Van Gogh was so into him and what he was doing, obviously that's a nice little ego boost. So they became friends they wrote to each other often both kind of had the same ideas about artist colonies and trying to explore that so they both wanted to start artist colonies this was just kind of a thing around the late 1800s and vincent actually does move to arles to begin the studio of the south and he convinces gogan after much pleading to come stay with him after Theo agrees to fund it. <laughs> so Gauguin, on Theo's dime, moves to Arles in with Van Gogh into the Yellow House. The Yellow House. The Yellow House. And there's paintings of it. We'll put one up in our show notes. And it does not take long for things to go astray. Poor Vinny thinks his best bud's coming to live with him. It's going to be great. <laughs> things go south real fast. So in the months leading up to Gauguin's arrival, they wrote letters to each other frequently, kind of discussing and comparing their creative strategies, and they were both painting a lot. So they were also exchanging paintings, which was common practice as well. And they both began to experiment with some similar things like compositional techniques that they derive from Japanese woodblocks, which we talk about in our baby episode about uh, Japanese woodblock prints. They're experimenting with similar styles, similar colors or symbolic language of color and natural representation, which Jen is going to get into a little later. So they did have a lot of commonalities in their art making process at this time. However, Gauguin only stayed in Arles for two months and they were often fighting, most famously, the ear incident where Van Gogh Mm -hmm. ends up severing off the lower half of his left ear with a razor. After an argument with Gauguin. Not much is known, which is why it's so fascinating to people because there are a lot of theories. Um, Yeah, it is a big mystery. It is. Because we know the prevailing story is that they got into an argument and in a fit of passion, Van Gogh slices off the lower part of his earlobe with a razor. However... There's also a interesting theory that perhaps it was a wound inflicted by a sword wielding Gauguin. Perhaps. I <laughs> mean, who is to say? And that Van Gogh didn't want to get his friend in trouble. Yeah. So he took the hit. Ah, I feel like that's true. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. They're both interesting stories. I don't yeah. know. I wasn't there. <laughs> Can't say. If Can't you want to hear a much more heated uh, conversation about this, go to our Fuck Again episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you have to go to that episode after listening to that this yeah. episode regardless because that's just it's just a solid episode. It's so. really a great episode, though. <laughs> like, we're proud of it. That's a good one. We, and you need to know. And Everyone we needs to know. Off. Mm-hmm. What a dog he is. We went off. For real. Is that is that what you have for Gauguin? Is there more on Gauguin? 
I think that's that's all the time we're going to give him okay. on this episode. I yeah. think that's good. That's yeah. enough. This is not I his mean, episode. I want to give him. I want. I'm just. I want to give him a negative episode. I <laughs> kind of. <laughs> I'm like to the point where I'm like, he doesn't deserve my any more of my attention. Like, mm. I'm just done giving him my attention. I want to block him. Yeah. You can know I, what I block mean? Gogan? <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, like I just want him gone. Um, <laughs> Um, well then moving on moving on thank you to a to a a healthier loving relationship the relationship that van gogh had with his brother theo this is just a beautiful this is brotherly love yeah it really is the most quintessential example i think of that forrest gump quote must be hard being brothers (laughs) I wouldn't know. <laughs> that I'm might be the so only time anyone has ever <laughs> quoted that line. I am so glad you just quoted Forrest Gump. And yeah, a very niche very, line. Very, <laughs> very well, might I add. That was great. That oh, was great. Man. That was my moment. That was- um. <laughs> All right. Theo Van Gogh. Theo was Vincent's younger brother. And their relationship is so beautifully documented for us as art historians in the 21st century because we have access to hundreds of letters between brother and brother during the course of their lifetime. Did any of them start? Hey, brother. (laughs) I don't know, but there's, um, I really liked this particular quote in one of the letters um it was to theo from vincent on july 22nd 1883 i don't really have any friends except for you and when i'm ill you are always in my thoughts Mm. oh god (laughs) Uh, that's really sad i I thought it was gonna be happier than that loves his brother so much and they were really best friends so vincent and theo they both began their careers at the international art firm called upu and c and so they both also attended the hague the hague is when vincent went on into the hague and uh theo went on in 1873 so this is a um like an art school mm-hmm. theo went on to have a successful career actually as an art trader but vincent was dismissed in 1876 and uh he was forced to look for new work and he struggled he tried to pave a career as a minister of the church and that didn't quite work out but upon theo's advice he decided to pursue painting so Van Gogh's decision to become a painter at 27 was really influenced by his brother who believed that he had the necessary talent to, you know, make that happen. And also at this point in time, his brother is making a successful career as an art trader and buyer. And so it it worked out, sort of. Vincent decides to move to Paris to live with Theo And there he would really mature as an artist and uh, began to evolve and began to see what was going on in 
such places as like the Salon des Independants, which was like the sort of reaction to the academic salon. Mm -hmm. Together, Vincent and his brother also collected Japanese prints. And as we mentioned in our color theory episode, I believe it was, um, was it color theory? We discussed Japanese in we have an a, episode. We have in a few episodes. Yeah. Yeah. And sure. and so Japanese prints have a huge influence on Vincent Van Gogh and, and definitely this was something that was facilitated by his ability to collect these works with his brother. So he and his brother have this sort of symbiotic relationship where they're sort of feeding off each other in the sense that his brother, Theo, is allowing Vincent to pursue his career of painting. At the same time, Van Gogh's, Vincent's artistic output is also sort of influencing his brother's direction in art and where he is buying art or displaying art, etc. So... They're really feeding off each other, but this relationship in many ways was a lot of Vincent relying on his brother Theo Mm -hmm. in a large way because for reasons we've mentioned before, Vincent was just not so well off with his mental health. Mm -hmm. He struggled with various times where he had to be in like a mental institution his famous breakdown in Arles I believe it was when he had to be put away or he put himself away actually in a mental institution Mm -hmm. when he painted Starry Night so all of these moments if it hadn't been for having the support of his brother Theo Vincent would not have been able to continue to paint Mm -hmm. and so Theo was in so many ways his brother his confidant his moral support his financier is mm-hmm. that a word <laughs> sounded right i patron i like it. Yeah. patron yeah um and his brother tirelessly tried to sell his work and i think he only sold one painting before I, the death of i've Vincent. heard i've heard diff- from different sources that van gogh actually sold more than one painting in his lifetime that he was actually a little more well known than we typically talk about mm-hmm. but but it wasn't a lot it that, no. that's for sure it was not a lot and, especially yeah. compared to the scale yeah absolutely yeah. after and his death he wasn't selling work very often and there are multiple letters to his brother that are evidence that Vincent really relied on his brother to send him paints and to send him money. And there's almost a little bit of, I read a few letters to Theo where Vincent's like, you need to send me the paints for God's sakes. The orchards are blooming now. Like these, this is <laughs> the paint. Like there is no time. And and so I it's very, that so yeah, much. that was a real letter that I read. That was just like, this, the time no, is now. You like, don't <laughs> understand it. They're blooming right now though. <laughs> yeah. I am watching them. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, speaking of which, so, you know, their relationship was very close. Uh, Theo and his wife, Joe, had a baby son in 1890, and they named him after his uncle, Vincent. Aww, that's nice. And Vincent was so touched by this and loved his baby nephew so much that he painted Almond Blossom in 1890 which is just a beautiful painting we saw it when we went to the Mm -hmm. van gogh museum in amsterdam it's also on my glasses case it is i have an almond which you got from the van gogh museum i did 
it's a beautiful work and it really is sort of emblematic of this whole idea of of new life it's almond branches against this super fluorescent turquoise blue Mm -hmm. sky and the tree is blooming with these white blossoms and it's just super symbolic of new life and Mm -hmm. and it's a perfect sort of painting for a baby boy and and it's just really beautiful like when we saw it in person we were like wow Um, I've always loved that beautiful it's been one of my favorites of his I mean I just love flowers I love floral paintings but like it's expressive but it's calming and it's simple but like heavily symbolic in all these ways it's It's a a good painting it's beautiful there's a there's an anecdote in a letter from Joe to a friend Joe being the wife of Theo where she talks about when Vincent came to visit them at their home and Theo drew Vincent into baby Vincent's nursery and they both watched the baby boy sleep and they had tears in their eyes as they observed this new life and so these brothers had a moment where they were observing the new baby boy and I was like what that's very nice (laughs) that's a nice thing it is a nice thing 1890s Theo began to express his financial difficulties in trying to be an art trader and in trying to sell his brother's work it wasn't really working out and he desired to establish an art firm Vincent became quite depressed because he started to really think about this overbearing relationship that he had with his brother and saw himself as a burden to his brother and his wife and the new baby and really couldn't shake this feeling of living at the expense of his brother and express this in letters to him and to Theo's wife. So a few weeks actually after Theo and his wife and their new baby paid Vincent a visit in July 1890 was when Vincent shot himself in the chest in a field and he died two days later. Theo naturally was by his side and was there for his brother in his last moments and about six months later Theo's health really uh, deteriorated sharply he was admitted to a psychiatric hospital actually in November of 1890 and he was diagnosed as suffering from a progressive and general paralysis so an initial examination confirmed this and his medical notes said that he presented all of the symptoms of dementia paralytica a disease of the brain and theo van gogh died on the 25th of january in 1891 six months after vincent's death The cause of death was listed as dementia paralytica caused by, in quotes, hereditary chronic disease, overwork, and sadness. Sadness. (laughs) Um, The brothers are buried together. Oh, I didn't know that. They are. That's nice. They're buried together. That's so fitting. Theo's Mm -hmm. wife saw to it that they were buried together. I like her. I do too. Yeah. That's great. She was a good wife and she loved her brother-in-law and she actually wrote him a lot of letters and called him my dear brother and and loved him very much and independently of Theo, they had their own relationship and wrote to each other often. So she sounds like she was a great lady. 
So that's so wild. They both died within yeah. a few months of each other and they just had such a close relationship and that's yeah. It's I mean it's tragic but beautiful, you know. Let's take a short break. We're going to take a pie break. Be happy. Oh, Jen doesn't know about pie. Jen doesn't know about the pie. Ooh, we'll be right back. <laughs> oh. We've returned from our pie break. It was really good. It was amazing. Wow. Incredible. We feel sorry for you because you didn't taste it. <laughs> Still picking it out of my teeth. <laughs> it was super good. And now we're going to talk about, we're going to talk about nature. We're going to talk about Van Gogh and nature. Yeah. So Vincent was a diligent student of nature. So aren't I, we all? I mean, <laughs> I thought I was saying something like really profound. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently not. Uh, no, so most diligent student. Wow. <laughs> I'm gonna leave. <laughs> I'll see you guys later. I I I, I must just have merch on the brain because I was like that make a great T-shirt like nature's most diligent student. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that was. We have Jen. so many ideas. Dom Vincent. That's Dom. my favorite one. Dom Vincent. And it has to be the monk picture of him where he just looks all bald and serious. Dom Vincent. I love oh it. Oh my God. Okay. So so we know just even as a Vincent Van Gogh layman, you just have seen that he paints <laughs> landscapes. Why? A Vincent Van Gogh layman. <laughs> I'm so quotable. You wow. are. Yeah. You are the most quotable person I know. You <laughs> really are. Truly. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm really trying. Um, I'm really trying to get through this. <laughs> Vincent Van Gogh was heavily influenced by the Barbizon school. So Barbizon is a region in France. This school was active around the years 1830 to 1870. And so these are the years of the Romantic movement. So right before Impressionism, right around the time like where we move away from realism. But the Barbizon school were a group of French artists that were all about realism. And in this movement was a heavy preoccupation with landscape. So we're familiar with Jean-Francois Millet. He did the, um, dang it, what's the name of the The gleaners? The gleaners, yes, thank you. So he is one of the most famous examples of an artist from this school. And many of these artists were painting in a similar style. So not only was Van Gogh a student of art in general that he was observing around this time but also he was beginning to work around the time of the impressionists so the impressionists also were a heavy influence on vincent and we can pretty much say with a level of confidence that the impressionists were super preoccupied with landscape painting Mm -hmm. You know, our favorite guy to reference is Monet, and he liked to look at some land 
(laughs) (laughs) He liked a good piece of land. So, you know, the Impressionists were very interested in views of nature because views of nature offered up a lot of opportunities to experiment with color and light. And that is really at the heart of Impressionism. Mm -hmm. And so Vincent took these elements and made them his own in his work. So as I said before, he was very much thoughtful and meticulous about what he chose to paint as far as nature and landscape goes. He also found solace and personal fulfillment in studying and enjoying the natural world. As we have mentioned before, Vincent van Gogh was a deeply religious man. Mm -hmm. And as a spiritual person, he found many moments to commune with his higher power while observing nature. I mean, we know that he was also from Holland and from Holland went into France and spent a lot of time in the countryside. So we're talking like a beautiful, yeah, beautiful mm-hmm. landscapes. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how many of you guys have ever been in the south of France, but holy hell, <laughs> like talk about. I mean, you've at least heard of it. <laughs> and we're talking like, pre-cosmopolitan developed France, which even now it's still pretty natural and beautiful. They've managed to keep it kind of wild. Anyway, Van Gogh wrote to his brother Theo in 1874 saying, always continue walking a lot and loving nature, for that's the real way to learn to understand art better and better. Painters understand nature and love it and teach us to see And I think that's a really great quote just Mm -hmm. because all of his work, I think, really embodies that. In his landscapes, he conveyed a very specific light. So he was obsessed with having light from a particular moment of the day. And and he chronicled in his letters to Theo how much he was like dying to get that like specific light from this point of the day. And you really get that when you look at these works, especially some works that he does of like orchards or just he's known for his cypresses we see cypresses a lot in his works and these are really instrumental kind of tools for how he chose to display his skill and also challenged himself to try to capture the most interesting challenging light mm-hmm. of the time and not only did he, was he interested in light but he was interested in weather and temperature so the sower is an, a classic example, which I believe we saw when we were at the Musée d'Orsay. Big yellow sun and the guy kind of hunched over in the front. The sun is almost green with that like acid yellow. He was interested in species of trees, shrubs and birds, movements of wind, times of day. And one of his sisters recalled that even as a child, uh, Van Gogh knew the Latin names of insects, rare flowers, and birds, and he preserved them in little boxes. Mm. There's one of my favorite paintings that he did was the peacock moth. It's a big moth. <laughs> They're big guys. Um, and he draw, he painted a very beautiful, just little guy. 
<laughs> a beautiful little big guy. <laughs> a little big guy. He was actually quoted as saying that he was um that he went too far with Starry Night. He liked to stay within the guise of reality. And he believed that with Starry Night, he went too deep and it was too abstract for his taste. Oh. Yeah. He did go deep with that one. It was deep. It was deep. So he was heavily critical of Starry Night. Interesting. That's really interesting because as we were talking about it, I came across an article that was titled Why Physicists Love Van Gogh. And it talked about how in Starry Night, he's basically, and I skimmed, but he's, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> he's representing a phenom- a f- like a phenomenon that physicists can't quite explain how it happens, but he is like visually representing it really well, apparently. Interesting. Whoa. Yeah. What phenomenon? Like just the. You think I'm a physicist? <laughs> okay. That's fine. I've, so, I'll, I'll link the article so, with our stuff. So but. not only does. Starry Night represent a subconscious understanding of his own biology, apparently. It represents a subconscious understanding of physics. It might According just be the physicists. greatest painting of all time. <laughs> a lot of people right? want to say that. Right? <laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, he was he was critical of Starry Night, apparently. He thought that he went too abstract with that painting, which in many ways I see if your the work that you did was when you were in a mental asylum and you were doing it out of your window in said mental asylum i could see that it might have gotten a little kooky and then later you might look back and be like oh no mm-hmm. well and you have to think too for someone who's so preoccupied with light painting a night scene would yeah. be particularly challenging and he did and a cityscape do, yeah mm-hmm. well and he didn't he do multiple starry nights he also did like the cafe um, oh yeah that yeah cafe boulevard mm-hmm. with the he did a few night scenes but in relation to his nature views he felt least to say a little bit insecure about how starry night turned out towards the end of his life Many of his works were these sort of longer horizontal canvases of fields. And so one of his most famous, and many say it was his last painting, is Wheatfield with Crows. So we learned an interesting fact, actually, when we went to the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam, we found out that that is, in fact, not his last work. Mm -hmm. His last work is called Tree Roots. It was painted in July of 1890, and it's a jumble of tree roots as evidence by the title Mm -hmm. and it's it's pretty abstract so this is in fact according to the leading van gogh scholars out there his last painted work it's not as poignant as the wheat field of crows we would all like to believe that that was his last painting well i think the common also like idea mythology surrounding wheat filled with crows is everyone likes to point out like it's wheat field with crows it's kind of dark like dark dark. crows are dark like it it's supposed to be representative of his depression and impending suicide Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and yeah the fact that he was gonna die and and every a lot of people have read 
very deeply into this as being his last work and it's not it's not (laughs) so we hate to burst your bubble if you're out there thinking that that was his last work but it's not but double burst (laughs) don't get us wrong though around this time he was writing back to his brother and his sister-in-law saying that this particular series of paintings of the wheat fields were meant to evoke a deep sadness and loneliness yeah so he was definitely a sad man at this time i would like to end just with this kind of plug for a documentary that blew my mind when i first saw it and i've seen it like three times now and i want to watch it again it's a 1987 documentary titled vincent the life and death of vincent van gogh and i'm gonna just say that it's arguably one of the greatest van gogh documentaries the story is told through letters written to his brother theo from 1872 until 1890 And they are eloquently read by the actor John Hurt. John Hurt, big theater guy. The letters are read against a backdrop of the French countryside and images of Van Gogh's works. So this documentary is so interesting to me because it really foregoes the conventional Van Gogh biographies, then he cut his ear off approach. It really just doesn't even really talk about that at all. The director, Dutch-Australian Paul Cox, opts for this really more subtle approach. So his camera kind of takes you through places where Van Gogh walked while he lived. And so you see the countryside that he lived in, that he painted in. I feel like he really tried to dream his way into the artist's mindset. John Hurt does an amazing job of reading Vincent's letters to Theo and he gets kind of like animated and amped about it and really acts out the letters and it's amazing. It's an amazing documentary. I love it so much. It's really hard to find. So if you can find it somewhere online, watch it and just enjoy it. I found it on Amazon, like the DVD for like $64. Don't spend $64. I was like thinking about it, but I was also like a (laughs) bottle of wine deep and was like, I should get off Amazon right now. But if you find it somewhere, watch it. It's from 1987. It's really great. And I recommend it. All right. So we're going to we're going to get get us towards the end of this episode. We're going to talk about some some of the mystery surrounding Van Gogh's suicide or murder. Ho-ho. Van Gogh, it, the story is commonly told that Van Gogh died from suicide, from shooting himself in the chest slash stomach region. July 27th, 1890, he is shot in the, in, the, in the torsal region. He returns to the inn that he is staying at and told the innkeeper that he tried to kill himself. And 30 hours later, he died. And so that is the common story. We all knew he was very depressed. He had depressive tendencies. He had tried to kill himself before. So that is the common narrative. However, in 2011, Gregory White Smith and Stephen Nafee wrote a book called Van Gogh, The Life. They kind of caused a big fuss because basically there was a suggestion buried way in the appendix of this book that he was actually murdered. And they have some good points. Um, They basically suggest that this man, Rene Secreton, 
who was a teenager at the time that like lived in the same town that Van Gogh was in. He often like teased and like, like kind of tortured Van Gogh a little bit. That and bastard. He also owned this pistol that was believed to be the gun that shot Van Gogh. And there were some weird kind of exchanges that happened later on in Rene Secretan's life where like he didn't admit to killing Van Gogh, but just kind of some things about his story don't exactly line up. If you want to get all the details, obviously you can look into this book. Also, the Art Curious podcast does a whole episode just about this dramatic suicide or murder and kind of hashing out all the details about it. It's um, their second episode, I think. So you can look that up and we'll also link it in our sources if you want to get all the details on that situation. But so there has been, um, at least since 2011, uh, speculation. Did he actually kill himself? Was he murdered? What exactly happened? Because it is kind of peculiar. Like if you want to kill yourself, shooting yourself in the chest is not the smartest Mm -mm, way to do it. And so that, you know, there are some things about the story that don't quite line up. A lot of people think that if he was going to kill himself, he would have at least written a letter to Theo, like a suicide letter because they were so close and he did not do that. So, so there are some, some interesting kind of points made um, about maybe he didn't commit suicide. Maybe he was actually killed or maybe there was an accident or something along those lines. Um, this also is kind of the basis to the amazing, beautiful film, Loving Vincent, which we actually did a Patreon extra episode about. We Nat and I watched it and we did gave like our kind of review, like first mm-hmm. um, impressions and, and talked about it a lot. So definitely head over to our, our Patreon and check that out if you want to hear more about it. But it's a fantastic film. It's currently on Hulu if you haven't seen it. First feature film that's like fully painted. Every mm-hmm. still is a painted. That's so yeah. wild to me. I know. It's right? oh all God. made out of oil paintings. It's pretty incredible. It's visually absolutely stunning. And it's it done in the style of Van Gogh. And like the scenes are based on Van Gogh paintings. And it's just, it's just a, just a visual treat. It really is. And then the mm-hmm. story is fantastic because it's basically, um, it takes place after Van Gogh's death and uh, talking to different people and trying to hear and hearing these different sides of the story, like people who think that he did kill himself, people who think that maybe he didn't, or people who think something's a little fishy. So it's a really interesting, I think, take on that whole mystery. But fantastic movie. Everyone, everywhere should watch it for sure. And then what else do we got? I thought we wanted to talk about the museum a little bit when we went to Amsterdam. We oh, man. <laughs> I've got some stuff to say. <laughs> what do you got to say, Jen? So we went last June. We took a Euro trip. If you want the details of that, we have a whole episode about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, go listen to the full episode. Woo! That's a fun episode. Uh, we went some places and did some things. <laughs> we went hard. <laughs> we went hard in Europe. Right after grad school, but we did go to the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam. We did. And the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam was such 
a treat. I really loved it, but I was also kind of annoyed. So the Van Gogh Museum is a very well-funded, you can tell, establishment. It's beautiful. It is gorgeous. Lots of plate glass. <laughs> um, it, it, it's got a great cafe. The best museum cafe oh I have ever been in. Oh my God. It was so really good. They had charcuterie. Yeah. Charcuterie, right? They had a charcuterie right. plate. I was like, what? I had a Van Gogh Heineken. It had like Van yeah, Gogh. We had Van Gogh Heineken. There was like Prosecco and all kinds of fancy wines. I mean, it was quite the experience. What I didn't like was the fact that it was swarmed with tourists, and these people were taking full-on flash photos of the art. Yeah. The tourism so much, it was that people were being blatantly disrespectful to the docents whose job it was to stand there and say, please do not take photos. Yeah. And then people were being aggressive back. They were. They were trying to fight the docents. It was a weird sense of entitlement. That's the thing about, okay, so the Van Gogh Museum, you're not supposed to take photos in it. And the thing is, a, Do not. a lot of a lot of museums nowadays let you take photos, and that's great. And if you're in a museum and they're like, hey, you can take photos, take photos. Take all the photos you want. That's great. But if you are in an institution and it says not to take photos, don't do it like and it's don't not that big of a deal like enjoy the experience don't take photos for the five seconds like it's not that big of a deal you can find it on the internet yeah write down the and name believe me i love a museum selfie as much as the next person yeah. like but it it was like so the van gogh museum is it's just no photos that's the deal and what ended up happening because it was super crowded like probably our busiest museum experience while we were in europe it was super crowded in the Louvre. Yeah, probably. Or at least there was so many people in a such a like in a smaller space that it was just very very intense. It was more like I think I honestly think it was like the the energy. It yeah, wasn't the yeah. amount of people cuz there were more people in the Louvre. We were really crowded in the Louvre. It was hot. But people were more there was more of a, like a res, an air of respect in the Louvre and I don't know maybe because it's the Louvre, but people right. just had this weird I mean, even in the Louvre, I just thought that even in the Louvre, it was a little bit much. The way that people were going about with their photos and whatnot. And I think it's because it's Europe and these are big museums and they bring people from all around the world. And maybe a lot of them are so preoccupied with wanting to get photos of their experience that they don't quite grasp the notion that you're there to view the art and really how many of you are taking pictures of what you saw at a museum and going home and looking at those pictures and being like "Mm, yeah I'm glad I took these pictures enjoy the art while you're looking at it is my sort of point of view at the same time I've taken pictures of a piece of work that I really enjoyed. I just think that there was a certain air of entitled behavior at the Van Gogh Museum. That being said, I don't want to make it seem like it wasn't an amazing museum and the work displayed was beautiful. I'm so happy to have seen it. 
I think that the museum itself was laid out pretty well. I feel like they started out with sort of his early years, the work that he produced while he was, he did attend school for painting. So there was some work from when he was a student. There was like a whole like corner of a floor where it's like all of his work that was influenced by like Japanese prints. So overall, I think that I can say that I really enjoyed the Van Gogh Museum. I just wish that there had been either stricter security where these, um, you know, jokers taking pictures. I didn't think it. See, so that's that's what I was going to say is I didn't think the problem was the security because what caused the problem was the fact that everyone was taking pictures and then docents, people would have to stop them and that caused backup Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. caused problems so it was like it wasn't the security's fault because they were stopping them because that was the rules but that's what caused disruptive that's what made the experience uncomfortable it was like you're not supposed to take photos people were doing it anyways every minute someone was still taking a photo and then some someone had to stop and be like no photos no photos and that created a bad experience i don't care if people take photos that's true it was the problem like you can take all the photos you want the problem for me was it it messed with the flow of the museum right because people had to be stopped and it just right the fact that it wasn't allowed and it was still happening that was the problem yeah yeah i mean and gosh you know how do you combat that i just need to be more respectful be responsible for yourself be an adult no i think that it was adult people yeah being i know like more immature than children it was crazy to watch like i said the only thing is if you want to take a museum selfie, do it in a gallery that allows you to take photos. Not a hard thing to do. The Van Gogh Museum isn't one of them. Just go and enjoy the Van Gogh Let Museum. It go. Like, Let it it's go. It's fine. That's fine. It's fine, guys. Or take a photo outside the museum. Be like, hey, I'm at the Van Gogh Museum. <gasps> like, yeah, I think that Well, he- they had spots. They had designated photo spots. The yeah. museum, you could tell, is doing everything in their power to try and combat this without bending over. And it's like, people are just... Yeah, just it's just true. I mean, I mean, people would lie. They would literally do it and then be like, uh, and the docent would be like, "Did you take yeah, a photo?" And they'd no. be like, "No." And it's like, no, oh, just be respectful. We saw you. Just Dude. be respectful. You know, at the end of the museum, we encountered a lovely gift shop. Yeah, it was a dope gift shop. We bought some stuff. We, we did bought buy some a stuff. lot of stuff. And I kind of wanted to talk briefly about something a little fun: Van Gogh and capitalism. And yeah. just the overabundance oh, of Van Gogh products that you can find in the world because they are prevalent. It's nuts. Yeah, it's, and it's fun. So, I'm wearing one right now. Yeah, Corey's got yeah, I have that t-shirt. same shirt. Me too. Got Van Gogh t-shirt on. Skull by Vincent. Love it. That's one of the cooler paintings. He's smoking a cigarette too. He's like, I'm dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's care. pretty dope. So we talked earlier about how Vincent had to wait for his paints from Theo. Well, now he's got his own paint line. <laughs> oh, is that his face? That's his face on Shut Van Gogh paints. Up. There's paint, cheese, which we ate this tonight. Oh, that cheese what? on our cheese board is was this. Is that what we ate? Yeah, and we didn't buy it. It came in like a basket, like a food basket that someone gave us. It was really good. Yeah, it was very good. So, Master Series Dutch Cheese. Wow. Age Dutch Cheese. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then Vodka came what? across this one on my coupon app. Van Gogh Vodka. Look at Van that. Gogh Vodka. 
It's a nice looking bottle. I know. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's very modern. You know, quick little aside. um, Van Gogh didn't drink vodka very much. He drank absinthe and occasionally turpentine. (laughs) Occasionally. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think they care. That's rough. And then... Some more obscure objects. Oh, boy. A baby carriage. That's weird. With almond blossoms. Oh. (laughs) I mean, the amount of products that you can find and you probably come across on a day-to-day basis with Van Gogh on it is insane. I mean, you could probably find Starry Night on anything. Do you want to know what's really perverse? Sure. Uh, we're about to do limited edition Van Gogh merch. Oh yeah. For our podcast. Oh yeah. We're not. We're not above this. Nope. <laughs> I don't think it's perverse at all. I think it's great. <laughs> yeah. I think you can support exact what the art history babes are doing, and uh, we can pay our rent. I don't think there's anything perverse about that. You just assume <laughs> that perverse is a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I even I think my favorite that I've come across so far was a Van Gogh ear eraser. We, oh, we yeah. had it in our giveaway once. That's cute. That's cute. Yeah. That's fun. He's I think everywhere. there's um one of those coffee mugs where like when you f- it's a Van Gogh self portrait and when you fill it with I like have that. something hot, his ear disappears. I have that. Yeah. yeah. And then a band aid is in its place. There you go. That's precious. There you go. But yeah, so if you want to get some Vincent Van Gogh merch, you should probably check out our store. Yep. Do just it. for the month of September. Month Limited of- edition. It's gonna be dope. Check it out. Uh, support nerd history babe but also if you want to keep the good times rolling and get in on our art project oh yeah you guys we're doing an art project (laughs) (laughs) for this art project your kind of art assignment is to create a expressionistic skyscape or starscape starscape yeah i'll break that down a little bit so obviously vincent van gogh's work very emotional very expressive and then starry night is his most famous work so what we want you guys to do is to take the idea of a like emotional expressive starscape and create something it does not need to resemble a van gogh in any way it is a very wide open project expressive emotional starscape that is your project and then if you Mm. create something please email it to us at arthistorybabes.com or tag us on instagram yeah at arthistorybabes podcast and by that um i mean tag us in the photo don't just tag us in the caption because things get lost that way does that work if they have a private account i don't know i don't well, <laughs> or DM us, or yeah, you, yeah. Know, us. you know if how you to Instagram. If you have a private account, send it uh, to okay, us. Okay, so you can DM us or tag us in the photo because mm-hmm. if you just tag us in the um, caption, then we, we might not see it. Um, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely will not. No. Um, or you can email it to us at arthistorybabes at gmail.com. We're going to kind of look at them, compile them. We'll share them on our social media and kind of make it a fun thing. We're also going to do the project ourselves. So we'd really like to see what you guys come up with. Expressive starscape, emotional starscape. And and you can watch us <laughs> at some point in the future <laughs> we're gonna do our own expressive starscapes yes we are gonna do a youtube video and you'll get to see all of that as well so it should be a fun thing it should be a fun time if you want to do some art and think about 
think about Van Gogh and, and join in the fun, please do. Think about him. Think about him. Also, we'll be posting a um, article on our Patreon and have kind of a forum type discussion going on in um, our Patreon. So patreon.com slash art history, babes. All right. This episode is, as expected, running quite Ooh. long. We're going to do a quick listener mail. Before we do, does anyone have any last words on our boy Van Gogh? No. All words have been said. We yeah. said a lot of words tonight. Mm-hmm. And if some twice, if the words weren't said tonight, they've been said in previous yeah, episodes. Exactly. <laughs> We've talked about him quite a bit. Our listener mail comes to us from Hannah. It's actually a response to our recent episode on Machu Picchu. Nice. Uh, hey, babes, just listened to your podcast about Machu Picchu. So I pulled up a paper I wrote on the topic for an undergraduate class in pre-Columbian art of South America. Here's what my research showed me in regards to the women's remains and the nunnery theory. So we mentioned in that Mm -hmm. episode that when Machu Picchu was first discovered by uh, Hiram Bingham, there were lots of uh, human remains, 80% of which were female. So, but we didn't really know why. So here is what Hannah's research has to say. Another interesting theory held by Bingham was that Machu Picchu was a cloister for a group of religious women named the Virgins of the Sun. Dope. He was led to believe this because George Eaton, the osteologist who accompanied him in the Yale Peruvian expedition, identified most of the skeletons found at Machu Picchu as belonging to women. This theory was supported by the secrecy and seclusion of the site. Many Spanish accounts reference the existence of such nunneries or... Aklawasi, House of the Chosen Women, where chosen women were raised in seclusion to become priestesses, sacrificial victims, or the wives of the Inca king. Further analysis of the skeletons found at Machu Picchu done by John Verano, physical anthropologist at Tulane University, disproved Eaton and Bingham's theory that the site was inhabited by the Virgins of the Sun. Not only did he find that many of the remains that had been identified as female were actually male, but he also found the remains of children and the presence of syphilis in the skeletons. It looks like, according to the most updated research, the site was most likely just a summer home for Pachacuti and his royal household. Machu Picchu would have been inhabited by the ruler and his Panaka during the colder season between May and September when Cusco, which is at a higher altitude, was uncomfortably cold. But the farmers, many of the royal courtiers and retainers and specialized workers would have inhabited the site year round. These later groups of inhabitants had the primary purpose of supporting the livelihood of the royal family during their visits, but also engaged in other creative activities, such as textile production, metallurgy, and stone carving during the warmer seasons when the royal family lived in Cusco. It was fun for me to reread some of my work from undergrad. Thanks for keeping my art history bug alive. Love you guys, Hannah. And then this was all stuff from her her paper, and she actually included her bibliography. Dope. So this is like actual academic research. Wow, Hannah, that is so awesome of you yeah Yeah, it's really nice of you to pull that up for us because it does um respond directly to some of the questions we asked in that episode so if you haven't listened to that episode you can go check it out but that is that is very interesting and definitely i think yeah answers yeah we were super curious about that so i love that she wrote in yeah definitely appreciate it thank you so much hannah great job including a full bibliography i know right like like every email should come with the full bibliography (laughs) (laughs) that's like that's next level stuff right there girl very good 
All right. So we did it. We talked about our boy Van Gogh in a lot of different ways. I think we went we went all all over the place with him. Hey, and, you know what's crazy? Hmm. We didn't cry. We didn't cry. Wow. I'm not very I'm not very intoxicated. So no. maybe <laughs> You know what? Also, I feel like um we're not as stressed out. That's true. Well, we did color theory. <laughs> we were like <gasps> Yeah, if you want to hear us cry about Van Gogh, you can go check that episode out. Yeah, go check it out. But yeah that's that's what we got please join in on our art project if that sounds like fun for you we're looking forward to seeing what you guys come up with thank you so much for listening for your support all of you are amazing please follow us on all of the social media and write us an itunes review if you have a second that really helps a lot share us like us write us emails you know all this stuff we love it we're just we're just having a great time over here Make sure that you continue to have a good time. (laughs) Always have a good time. Always having a good time. All right. Catch you next time, guys. Bye. Bye. Time, it's it. (laughs) From One of the many perks of double fisting.